I knew this is what I loved. And I, I really didn't think much about sort of being an outlier, an anomaly per se, and because I loved what I was doing. Welcome to the Business Class Podcast, where we dive into conversations with alumni, students, faculty, and staff from the University of Dayton School of Business Administration. You'll hear career advice, conversations about ethical decision-making in business, and listen to stories from life on the UD campus. Here's your host, Dean Trevor Collier. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Business Class Podcast. I'm your host and Interim Dean of the School of Business at UD, Trevor Collier. Today, I'll be joined by 1997 UD School of Business graduate, Jessica Holscott. Jessica currently serves as an Executive Vice President and the Chief Financial Officer of Studios and Networks for Warner Media. Thanks for joining me today, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me, Trevor. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, we're, we're really, really excited. Um, I'd, I'd like to start our journey with some questions about your time in the, in the C-suite and then work our way back through time and, and obviously get to some conversation about your experience here at the University of Dayton. Could you start by telling us a little bit more about the studios and networks division at Warner Media and, and your role as CFO? Absolutely. So the studios and networks uh, division is made up of Warner Brothers. So um, Warner Brothers produces films, games, television shows. Uh, it's also made up of HBO programming. So we program HBO, HBO Max, as well as the Turner Networks. So TBS, TNT, and True. Um, so it's really a, a center where, um, where we're producing the best content in the world um, and, and putting it on as many platforms as we can. That's quite a mouthful to, uh, to list off all those... <laughs> Yeah, terrific things. brands for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and household names as well. So, how long have you been in in this role, and and what was the transition like? Yeah, so I've been here about a year. Um, I've been at Warner Media for around six years. Um, previous to my current role, I was CFO of HBO, uh, and so um, the, so my current role, I've learned, I've had to learn a number of sort of new business models. I've never. Uh, been part of the film uh, industry before. So uh, the film industry is new to me. The games industry is new to me. Um, consumer products is new to me. So um, I've had I've had experience at HBO. I've had experience at, at TV networks, uh, but I've had to learn some new business models. And so the last year has really been um, a great learning experience for me to dive into those business models that I hadn't previously had experience in. Yeah, the gaming industry is, is booming. How, how has that been? interesting and, and different from what you've done with, with entertainment or with, excuse me, with the, the, the other, with HBO. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. One of the, um, one of the things that's unique to Warner brothers or our studio is what we call the franchise flywheel. So, um, you know, we have um, franchise, we're able to build on that franchise through games, through consumer products, through film. Um, a lot of other sort of media companies out there don't have that ability. So, you're right, the games business is booming. We've been able to really link that to a lot of the franchises, as an example, DC, um, you know, the DC universe, um, and really, you know, thinking about all of our brands and how do we build games that, you know, are anchored on some of those brands um, that we have. And so it's been great. The, the, as you mentioned, the business, the games business has, has been has been incredible for us. Um, and it, like I said, we, we, sit in a very unique place because we have films, TV, games, consumer products, and we can take a franchise like Harry Potter 
or DC universe and build it out across all of all of all of those uh, aspects. So yeah, that's fantastic. I, I imagine there's some young alumni, some students listening to this that are uh, really Im- impressed with your role and, and would love to hear more sort of advice from you. What are some of the earlier positions in your career that, that helped set you up for the CFO, CFO role and what advice or recommendations would you have for young alumni or, or current students? So, yeah, it took me a while to figure out that I loved media. Um, so I started in GE and I rotated through all of their businesses. Um, and so, I went, you know, GE Aviation's in Cincinnati, Ohio. I rotated through that business. Uh, I rotated through GE Lightning in Cleveland. Uh, I, you know, I, um, it took me a while to figure out. I ended up at NBC at the time GE owned NBC and I realized I really loved media. Um, but I would say I did a number of roles in different industries. And the second thing I would say would be that uh, the, the roles that I did in finance, I did a variety of roles to build up my skill set. Uh, so, you know, I don't know r- right out of the gate if you know exactly what industry or what role within finance you want, you would like to do. I think it's making sure you're getting a variety of experiences that serve as building blocks for the future. And then you navigate and start to figure out what you what you like doing, what you don't like doing, what industry you like being a part of, which one you don't like being a part of. So early on, I would say to be open to any industry and to um, make sure that you're growing yourself uh, skill set wise every few years and continue to build on your finance uh, skill set. And that's the same, by the way, for marketing and for any other any other function, right? Um, there's different aspects of marketing. Uh, there's digital marketing. There's you know there's all there's a variety of, of aspects and obviously a variety of industries. So I think it's it's figuring out what industry you start to gravitate to and making sure you're building your skill sets along the way. Yeah, I think it's really interesting as you say figuring out what you don't want to do because a lot of right. students will come to me and say, hey, I, I don't know where I want to go. I don't know which job to start with. And, and my advice is usually. Pick the one you think you're going to like the best today and go do it. And if you find out that's not what you like, that's good information. And then you can pivot and, and go do something else. So that's exactly right. It, I would say I didn't figure out I liked media until I was 10 years into my career. And, um, you know, I, and, and I knew I wanted to be in finance, um, but I didn't know what industry I was going to gravitate to. And it took a while to figure that out. So I, I, to your point, I, I started to rule, I actually spent this, some of my career, earlier part of my career in financial services, which is, you know, the credit card business. And I realized this is, I actually don't enjoy financial services. Um, I like being able to see and touch a product, right? So, but I, I totally get why a ton of my peers love it. Uh, so I think you just have to, you know, to your point, Trevor, figure out there's thing, you may rule things out along the way. Well, that's another thing that's great about those management training programs, like the GE one that you went through is you get to see all those different areas in really in one position, right? That, that you're purposefully moving through those. You don't have to quit a job and start a new job. To that's get all right. Areas. I recently listened to a couple of podcast interviews you did in, in 2019. Uh, I believe one was the, the Elevate podcast with Christy Wallace. And I really enjoyed hearing some of your, your personal stories, talking about your family. And, and I was really intrigued to find out we have a, a few things in common. We were, we were both college athletes. Uh, you played at a much higher level um, at, here, here at UD. You were a softball player. I played Division III non-scholarship soccer, so I, I tried to be a collegiate athlete. Um, and, and we both have two sons and a daughter, um, which is uh, 
which is which is interesting. So I, I like to talk a little bit about your experience as a student athlete. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a couple minutes. But first, how did COVID impact your your work life balance? It's a great question. So um, there's been things that have helped with COVID. I'd say my work life balance and things that have been challenges. Right. So. Um, the first thing I'd say is that I've enjoyed being able to see my children throughout the day, uh, working from home, seeing them throughout the day, being able to pick them up from school, being able to um, drive them to school, take them to a practice, uh, pick them up from a practice. Um, historically, I was commuting into New York City and w- wasn't able to do those things. Right. Um, so that for me has been just amazing uh, to be able to have so much more connectivity with them throughout the day. The thing that, or the challenge that I've had is that my days don't seem to begin or end with work. And so I'm constantly uh, in front of a computer early mornings, late at night, uh, throughout the day. It just feels like there's no beginning or end to my day, uh, my work day. And so that's the challenge that I've been trying to work through and I continue to work through. Um, It was very clear when you're going to the city, your day started and your day ended. Um, I feel that there's no bookends anymore to my to my work day in COVID. So clearly there's been a ton of benefits and there's this challenge that I continue to, to work through um, as it relates to, to having bookends of my, on my day. Were your kids, were they able to, to go, go to school throughout COVID or, or were they sent home for remote learning at all? No, we were in a, we were in a good place last year where they went to school full time. And so I feel incredibly lucky I have a number of um, colleagues of mine that I know um, and, and many members of my team that had to balance sort of homeschooling as well as, um, you know, the work aspect. And so I, I know that that is an, an, another sort of challenge, an incredible one that people were, were grappling with. Um, so, uh, but as a, as a leader and as a team member, I've tried to be very conscious of of, of that and allowing people the time that they need to, uh, you know, help, help with their children. So, um, but, but look, I think, I think there's a lot of benefits from, there's been a lot of benefits for, for a number of folks working from home. Um, and I mentioned a few of them uh, earlier. A lot of people also talked to me about being able to exercise. They maybe weren't able to figure that out before. Um, you know, uh, so I, I think there's been a, a number of benefits as well. Yeah, I, I think in one of those podcasts, you talked about you know, riding the train to work in the morning, and, and that was a, an hour that you were able to, to do work, to read, to get a lot of things done. And I, we used to live in Cincinnati, and I would commute to Dayton, and I used that time to connect with other people in my life that I wouldn't otherwise. And so I'd make phone calls on the way in, make phone calls on the way home, and then we moved to Dayton. Now my commute's a mile, so there's no time to make phone calls or have conversations. And I've, I've lost touch with a lot of friends since we've done that because I'm not able to force myself to find the time to do that. How do you sort of find the time to, to read and do things outside of work that, that aren't related to your family? Yeah, that's a great question. And the other thing we, we have, to, I have to watch, it's, it may sound, um, it, it, may, it may not sound like work to, to those of you listening, but I have to I try to watch a significant amount of our shows and movies as well. And uh, so, and our competitors. Uh, so I, I would say I have purposely had to block time on the calendar. 
And um, I've had to make sure I stick with those time blocks where, um, you know, and, and I think you have to be open and honest about those, those time blocks. 30 minutes, connect with, you know, friends. An hour, you know, read analyst reports. I think you have to be thoughtful and, and, and be very, um, you know, um, make sure you stick to what you put on the calendar. It's easy to just dismiss that, right, as it, when it comes up. Um, so I've had to be uh, more pragmatic and, and put specific time slots um, where I'm able to do those things. Do you do that on a regular basis? Do you have 30 minutes for connecting with friends every week? I tr- so to your point, I try to make sure that in an hour in the morning, I'm on the treadmill walking and I use that time to connect with, with, with um, mentors, mentees, friends, family. Uh, that hour of walking is sort of my connectivity time. So, but I do block the hour to, to do that. <laughs> I was listening to another podcast. Gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name. He he wrote the the four hour work week. Um, anyway, his his inter- he interviews a lot of high performing individuals, and he tries to say, okay, what what are you doing that's that's unique and different, and allowing you to perform at that level? And and a lot of them have very sort of regimented things that they do every day or every week that allow them to perform at a high level. And I think what you just described is something almost all of them have said where they put things on their calendar and and regardless of what happens, they're going to make sure that they get that done. That's right. I mean, I, I, I I actually feel that if I, I cannot start my day without sort of that early morning hour walk of and catch up on, on what's happening. So, um, and I will also say that I feel much better starting the week if I work a few hours on a Sunday evening, quiet, um, going through my calendar, going through my emails, reading. Um, you know, I feel as it, it, those few hours of quiet time on a Sunday to prep for the week ahead um, makes all the difference in the world for me. Let's go back to your your experience as a as a softball player at, at UD. What do you when you think back to your your time as a softball player? What do you miss the most? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I I can't. I played all four years. I had such a great experience at UD. Um, I loved playing. Uh, you know what I miss is which I've been able to I think through work sort of um, gain a bit of is I love the team camaraderie. I love the 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 friendships. I love all of us going after one goal to achieve one goal. Um, you know, I, I'm, but I will say, I do feel like I have that in various aspects of my work and personal life. Um, so, uh, but I, I do, and I miss just this, just being on the field and breathing fresh air, right. Um, and playing a sport that you love. So, um, I, I learned so much being a softball player in terms of having to balance competing priorities between schoolwork and the sports schedule. And, and frankly, that's what I'm doing now, right. Is we all have competing priorities. I have, you mentioned my three children, you know, balancing that with work, with, with um, physical fitness, with, you know, all those things. And so that's what it taught me is, is being able to manage competing priorities. Jessica played softball for UD from 1994 to 1997. Over that time, she appeared in 115 games, and she captained the team in both of her junior and senior seasons. Yeah, I, 
I went to a new high school. So I, I changed schools to go to high school. I was not from the sort of feeder school that everybody was in and, and playing soccer. I immediately had a group of friends right on, on the team. And then when I went to college, I played soccer and, and preseason happens before school starts and I immediately had a group of friends. And then I moved to go to graduate school and everybody was kind of on their own studying, doing their own stuff. And, and I was, I was lost. I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have that team. Um, and when I, when I moved to, to Dayton to start my career here, that's the first thing I did is I went and found an adult soccer team to, to be my, my friend group. That's what I, what I missed most from, from college was having that sort of immediate baked in connection with, with people. And, and then even, even in my work life here as a professor, you spend a lot of time on your own preparing for class, doing research. And in the, in the Dean's office, it's a much more social job. And there's a, we have a, our office suite, it, it, it's like our team. And, and that's been the most fun part for me stepping into this role is, is having a team again. And I think to linking it back to our previous discussion um, about COVID work from home, I mean, I think it's even more important to try to find ways to connect with, you know, I'm finding that um, a lot of people are behind their screen all day by themselves. And so, you know, whether virtually finding a way to connect um, where we do like a virtual happy hour or a virtual, you know, um, or just making sure to your point that you're, you're, there's groups of people that, you know, you're able to connect with, um, you know, I, I have found it even more challenging in COVID for, for a number of, of individuals to feel connected. Um, so I think it's, it's, you, it requires more of an effort, uh, certainly these days. When we came back to campus and I can remember the very first meeting I went to on campus and from, from down the hall, from around a couple corners, I could hear people chatting in a room together and, and the noise it was exhilarating. I was so excited right. to be in a room with people again. Uh, you, you forget, you, you take some of that stuff for granted. Um, do you have any good stories, either from the softball team or, or other experiences at UD that, uh, you know, that you would share with your kids? Because, you know, this is a public audience uh, that, that you can share with us today. Um, look, I mean, we talk, it's funny. I, we played at the time. And I know the softball team still in Atlantic 10. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, my kids ask me a lot about like, you know, how did you study? How did you travel? It was interesting. I don't, I don't think this is probably the case today, but we had this, um, a bus that we took and it had three stacked, it had stacked beds. And I vividly remember being in the top bed with my light on all my books in there, uh, studying, um, on these buses. And that's what I vividly remember, um, you know, is, 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 and then, opening the curtain to talk to a teammate. And I, I remember be, being on these long bus rides and um, my, my kids just find it fascinating to think about sort of these triple bunks on this bus and, and traveling that way. And that is how we traveled a lot. We try to hit a number of games in route, um, you know, when we take these long trips. So um, I have such fond memories of, of, of that experience um, and being with my teammates in that way. Um, so uh, I remember that. Um, and, and, you know, I've stayed very much in close with my incredible roommates. Um, we're still, we do a zoom call once a month. Um, we all get together. It's so wonderful to see my, my roommates from college. And, um, so, you know, we're still very much a tight knit group and, um, it's wonderful to see them. So you mentioned your roommates when I, when I have alumni come back to campus, 
they always seem to want to go find a house where, where they lived when they were here. What's, you know, I know you're, you're here for four years, but what, what's the house you sort of identify with maybe with the, with these roommates that you're still in touch with? Well, we spent a lot of time with friends at 440 Lowe's. So that's the house that I would probably go back and look at. Um, so that, that's where we spent a, a lot of our time. Yeah. Lowe's is Lowe's key favor. That, that area is, is commonly where the, the students want to go back. Um, if you had one meal in or, in or around campus, where would you go? Yeah, I mean, I didn't eat there that often when I was going to college there, but it would be the Pine Club. I remember that being the special meal when my parents would come visit that we'd go to. Uh, so, you know, I obviously didn't eat there on a regular basis, uh, but I was always eating, you know, at Kettering or um, or the dining halls. But but certainly the Pine Club, I have such fond memories of, of being a special dinner when my parents would come take me out and... Um, and so that would be where I'd want to go. I'm a big fan of the Pine Club and I, I don't eat there a lot. But when I go, I almost always run into a student and, and it's not a group of students. It's usually a student with their family. Right. And the family's in town and that's their their celebratory, exactly. their celebratory meal. Uh, it, it's probably a little too, too expensive for our students to dine there regularly. I know. What drew you to UD? What, what do you remember sort of being a high school student? I, yeah, I vividly remember. I think um, I, I remember stepping on campus and knowing this was the place I wanted to be. I think what drew me to UD is I like the size of the campus. So I like that I was playing softball for a D1 school, but yet the school didn't feel overwhelming. It felt, uh, you know, very much um, that I could get my arms around the campus. I knew sort of, you know, it didn't feel like, uh, like it was, it was that I wouldn't, I I knew I would be able to connect with so many people. Um, and it did, so it didn't feel, it didn't feel enormous. It felt just the right size. Um, and I also just remember such a warm vibe being there. Um, and, uh, and I, and I liked the idea of a Catholic university. So, um, you know, for me, I think it was a number of factors. It was just the feeling you get on campus. It was the size of the, of the school. It was um, the division one sports program. It's the, the Catholic nature, like all of those things sort of wrapped up, made it. And, and you know, I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So I like the idea of it being a, a three and a half hour drive. Um, so I, those would be the reasons that I chose it. I'm, and I'm incredibly grateful that I did. You, know, you mentioned the size. That's something that I, often come back to when I'm talking with prospective students, you know, I went to a really small liberal arts school. We didn't have business majors, right? The, the small schools are kind of limited in, in the, the different majors that they can offer. And then you go to the large schools, the Ohio States, you know, you've got 50,000 students, you, you, you get lost. You, you don't really know your professors. And, and so I say Dayton's in the sweet spot, you know, we're, we're big enough to have the vast majority of the programs that you can get at other schools, but we're small enough that, typically you can have a relationship with, with your faculty. Are, are there any faculty that when you think back to your time that, that maybe had an impact on you? Um, you know, I can't, I can't think of a single, I'm trying to think if there's a single faculty member. Maybe a course um, that you remember. Yeah, that's a great question. I, 
honestly, I loved economics and I, so interesting. I started as a pre-med major, um, you know, about a year in decided that it was not for me. And my kids asked me a lot about that. Um, you know, I love sort of the, the, the coursework, but struggle. I don't think I had the stomach for it. And we talk a lot about that. And my kids asked me a ton of questions. So, um, so I, I knew I loved mathematics and science. And so finance seemed um, like a perfect fit, uh, but I loved economics. Um, you know, I, I love sort of the, 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 we'd have, a, I remember having a, a significant number of debates in the, in the economics course. Um, I loved, I loved economics, did not love accounting. So I think it's interesting. Some people either, you know, love it or, or don't. And, and I, and I understand that because I can see sort of, um, there's always a right answer, right. Uh, in, in accounting. I, I think in um, economics, I like the debate of, of some of the topics that we had. So I would say economics. I want to come back to, to um, UD here, but you mentioned not liking accounting. And, and I think when you think about a CFO, it, it's kind of a mix of accounting and finance, but it, it seems more typical to me that, that the CFOs come out of the accounting background. Has that been a challenge for you? So um, I would say I surround myself with people that have, uh, I surround myself with incredible, uh, people with accounting backgrounds. So, uh, you know, part of being, I think a leader in whatever space you're in is knowing what you enjoy and are good at and knowing the things that you may not be great at and making sure that you have incredible people in those roles. Right. So for me, it's, it's been, um, I, I verbalize it in, because I, I need to make sure I have people around me that are incredible at accounting since I, you know, uh, aren't, I'm not deep in it and, and, uh, and don't have a ton of experience in it. So um, it had, as long as I think in any role you take, you surround yourself, you know, your gaps and you, and you surround yourself with great people that ha- that have that as a strength. I think you can overcome, um, you can overcome those things. And I think that's true for anybody. Yeah, that's great advice. When we go back to your time at UD and, and talking about liking economics and, and finance, and, and when I look at those, the, the students that choose those majors, it's it's predominantly male. It's not obviously not all male, but uh, females are definitely in, in, in the minority. Uh, and, and I know you're passionate about supporting women and encouraging more women to go into business. What, what was it like uh, as a female in the finance major? Yeah, it's funny. I, yes, I'm incredibly supportive just, uh, you know, of, of more women in mathematics and science. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where I didn't think about it at the time as being, um, you know, uh, overly challenging in terms of being, a, you know, a female majoring in finance. I feel I felt the same way, frankly, in the business world where I didn't really, I knew this is what I loved. And I, I, um, I, I really didn't think much about sort of um, being an outlier, an anomaly per se, and, and um, because I loved what I was doing. Um, but I will say that, you know, one of the things that I would love to figure out with you, Trevor, is how can we bring more women um, into this field? Um, and how can I partner with you to do that? Because I think it's incredibly important. It, it's something we've been spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, we have a 
a women in business club here. And I, I've met with those students in the spring and, and some of the, I would say early hypotheses, I, I don't know that any of these are true, but some of the things that, that they've raised and that we've identified are little things that I wouldn't have previously thought were, were a problem. And I don't know if problem's the right word, but we're, we're sort of making it less likely for students to, to choose business. And so the, the Davis Center is a, is a great experiential learning center that we have. They're, they're managing 60, almost $60 million of the university. It's incredible. An incredible experience. But what we're, what we're learning or what we think we're learning from our, some of our female students is that isn't initially attractive to them. Coming in and, and managing $60 million to a lot of our, our female prospective students is, is scary. And, and so that's not attracting them, but that's, that's a huge draw for, for male students. And, and that's always been a piece that we've had front and center when we're talking to prospective students is look how awesome this is. And we still need to continue to talk about it because it really is a great program, but maybe dialing it back a little bit and, and discussing some of the other options that we have. So a recent program that, that we've started is called Flyers for Financial Literacy. And this is coming out of the accounting department, but it's not all accounting students. We, we have some students from the School of Education that, that want to participate and, and help, you know, broaden people's understanding of, of their own personal finances. And, and that club is, is really drawn a strong female following. And, and when we've talked to prospective students, we've gotten feedback from some of the females that, yeah, that, that's, that's something I would love to come to UD and, and join that club. So we're trying to figure out more of the, the types of extracurricular, co-curricular activities that our female students want and, and trying to highlight those as we're talking to prospective students. Yeah, I think going back to what you said when we were talking earlier about my career path, right? There may be parts of, of industries or things that I realized I don't enjoy doing and there's things that I do enjoy doing. And to your point you made earlier, you know, investment, investment, like that field may not be a field that everyone is attracted to. There's so many aspects, right, of finance um, and business and accounting. And so I, to your point, I think it's making sure there's so many things that the school's doing that's incredible. And, uh, and so I think that's right. I think it's sharing all of those types of experiences that are available to students. But we're really excited this year. The, the senior manager for the Davis Center is, is, a, is a female student. Uh, I think that's, that's only, great. only the second female student there. And the, the CEO of Flyer Enterprises, our student-run business, is, is also a female student. So Wonderful. It's not, it's not as if female students can't succeed and thrive at UD. They, they are. Um, they're just, you know, there's fewer, fewer of our female students right now, but we're, we're working to change that. I'm excited to meet them both. What, what one piece of advice or a couple pieces of advice would you give female students considering a career in business? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would say the first is, uh, that there's so many aspects of business and we sort of just, we were just talking about the variety of, of aspects of business. And so the first piece of advice I, I would give is just be open, be open-minded, be open to trying new things. And there's so many, when you talk about business, there's a million avenues you can go down, right? Um, and so I think it's being willing to try new things, being open-minded about, about the variety of sort of career paths you can take. Um, you know, and then I think the second is just, figuring out what you love to do, what your strengths are and leaning into those strengths. And frankly, this is advice I'd give anybody, right? Is, I mean, what do you love, what do you love to do? Um, 
whether it's in your, you know, personal time and your, your studies, like what do you love to do? And then, and then start to sort of lean into that a bit at coming out of school. Um, because I think, you know, if you love what you're doing, um, you know, that that's, you know, I, it, it, so as an example, uh, someone may love, um, I, I love playing softball. Uh, you know, is there a way that I can get connected into the sports and uh, sports industry um, and, you know, uh, find, navigate the sports industry in some way? Um, and so, you know, I think it's finding what you love and, and trying to, to apply the business aspect to that. Yeah, I mean, we, I was just meeting with uh, an alum the other day that runs a, a data analytics company that's, that's doing work in sports. Um, right. And, you know, there's, if you love healthcare, right, the hospital systems need, need people that are doing finance and accounting and operations. There, there's, you, you can use business in just about any industry, any field, find your passion and, and, and help that. It's endless. It truly is endless. So I think, you know, that's exactly right. Any, anything else uh, you want to share with us or, or any questions you have for me, Jessica? I'm just incredibly grateful to have had the chance to talk with you, Trevor. I, um, I'm so impressed with the business school and everything that's happening at UB. Um, you know, I'm excited to get back on campus. I'm excited to see all the changes um, in person, but I, I've, been, I've been keeping up and reading everything that's happening. And I just want to say, um, that I'm just incredibly proud and, and appreciative of all the stuff that Trevor, you're doing to help continue to move, move the, the school forward. Um, and I'm here and available. Uh, if anybody would ever like to reach out or connect, I'm happy to chat further. So thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. We're, we're also incredibly proud of you and, and want to make sure we, we celebrate our successful alums and, and highlight to our students the, the opportunities that are that are in front of them. So you know thanks for thanks for chatting with me. I think there's a lot of people who, who are going to listen to this and enjoy hearing hearing your story and, and your advice. So I uh, really appreciate your time and uh, I would love to, to host you here on campus soon. So please please come back and see I look forward to it. All right. And, and thanks to our listeners as well. I hope you will all join us again next time. Go Flyers. Thanks for joining us for the Business Class Podcast. If you'd like to engage with us further, please follow us on social media. Our Instagram and Facebook accounts all use the name SBA. You can also email the Dean's Office with questions or suggestions for future podcasts at sbadean at udayton.edu. No matter where you are on your career path, we are proud that you're part of our Dayton Flyer family.